going to call up my friend Danny, um, Danny J. She's going to come and read us um, the Bible reading this morning. And just while, while she comes up, we are we're launching a, have launched a series on about the church, about this, this beautiful thing called the church, and trying to understand what the church means, how should we act in this church, what's, what does it mean? I think it's a, used, it's a name we use so often. You know, those that maybe have come this morning and you would have spoken to your spouse or the, a friend and said, are you going to church tomorrow? And you agreed to come, which is amazing. Maybe you talk about Gabe as the person who works for the church. Or maybe if you're looking for help in your community, you say, let's send someone from the church to go and help them. But I think we need to unpack that a bit. What is the church? What, what does it mean? How should we live in it? And Danny's going to read us a scripture, and we're going to digest that, process that, and then we're going we're to jump in from there. So Danny, over, over to you. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately... When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus, thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen. Let's give Danny a round of applause. And she's, yes, that's it. Um, and she's going to stay up here because I, I want to ask her to, to read it again. I think sometimes we can, we can get so quick and familiar with Bible stories. Maybe it's a, this is a story you've heard before, maybe not. But just I want us to, just to take a breath, actually, just to, just to take a moment and to really listen to the story. And, and maybe even think about the story of what it would have meant from the perspective of the paralyzed man. Uh, a friend of mine, a few years back, he was a, a fantastic sportsman, life of the party, um, was dating the, the girl of his dreams at the time, um, went on a, on a motorbike trip with the girlfriend, and they took a corner too quickly, and he came off, came off the bike, and the girlfriend fell on him, and he was, he was paralyzed in that moment. From, from his sternum down, he lost, he lost all ability to move and to feel, and it, it's, it changed his life dramatically, dramatically. And he went through rehab, went through the process, he was able to get to get a job, that, that girl who was with him left him at the, at the time, but he was able to, to get married and, and live, a, live a productive life and, and do well. But in those days, 
if you were paralyzed in the biblical days, and if you were paralyzed, all that you had was your mat, basically. You, it's almost sh- certain that you would have been begging. That's all you could do is beg. You wouldn't have a wheelchair. He wouldn't have any means to get around. He was paralyzed, and that would have made for a very challenging life. So I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable to close your eyes and even take a breath. Just take a breath and listen to the story. Listen, listen to the story. Listen to the words. Imagine what the weather was like on that day. Imagine what the house looked like where Jesus was talking. Imagine the smell in that house. Imagine the noise on the roof as Danny reads it, as, they, as the friends bring the paralyzed man and lower him down to Jesus. Imagine it. Listen, listen to the story as Danny reads it again. Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in the spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all, all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Thank you, Danny. This time for real. Let's give her a round of applause. Thanks, Danny. So the sermon this morning, and what I want to preach on is, is basically one verse within that story. The verse that I think the story hinges around. Mark 2, verse 5. It'll be on the screen behind you. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I must admit, as I was spending time reading this text and and trying to digest this text, it was a lot of that, a lot of what is said in this in this verse doesn't doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't fit in with my theology, if I'm completely honest. It says that Jesus saw their faith. He didn't see one person's faith, he saw the faith of many. So, so there was a, a contributing factor there that Jesus sees the faith of more than one person in this moment, and then, and then he acts. The, the paralyzed man whose sin gets forgiven, he, um, he doesn't say anything. And I, I mean, my, my Bible teaching always goes about that we need to confess our sins. 
have faith and the Lord will heal us. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything, and I, I struggle to understand that if I'm completely honest. And then two, he's not actually there for forgiveness, the paralyzed man. He's there because he wants to walk. And he gets put into Jesus' presence. His friends would have, would have heard the stories that the healer was in town. Let's get our paralyzed friend healed. Let's take him into Jesus' presence, get him healed. And the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. What's, what's going on here? I, I'm not sure. And I think as, well, I, I know now, which is why I'm preaching to you. But I think as I've needed to digest this, it's been challenging for me. And I just want us to spend some time together this morning. Let's unpack that and answer that in the context of our church, of our beautiful church, our beautiful life changes, century city that we get to be a part of. So Jesus, we come to you this morning and pray that you would come and illuminate the text, Jesus. Would you show us what you would have revealed to us in this text? In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. The very, the very first thing that, that we see there is that Jesus saw their faith. It's very clear that it wasn't about one person's faith. It was, a, it was more than one. It's not clear whether it was the four, the four friends' faith that, that got lowered, lowered their friend down, or if it was maybe the five of their faith. But Jesus saw their faith. And there's something there about not an individualistic view of faith, but a, a communal view of faith. S some of you may have known, but I, I've been through a, um, let's call it a, a foot incident um, quite, quite recently. A foot gate, yeah, there we go. Um, I went for a swim at one of the local gyms, actually quite, quite close by here. Um, I happened to be swimming in my, my, my red speedo at the time, just to uh, detail. You can just take a moment to visualize, visualize that. Um, you got it, Brett? You got it, got it, got it. Um, and and I, as I got out the pool, I, I slipped on a tile and I, and I cut my foot, a small, small cut. It bled a little bit. I put some Bactroban on, as my mom had taught me well, some Bactroban and a plaster. Um, and I, I went home and I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was having fevers. And anyway, long story short, things escalated from there. Um, I got an infection that, that spread through, through my foot and I got admitted to hospital. And there was, there was a time through that whole process, the doctor was concerned about whether I'd walk out of, out of that hospital with, with 10 toes or, or both feet. Um, and you've got to get your head around that a little bit. Um, a Amy had her speech ready about after the surgery, telling me all the things that I can still do um, if I only have, have one foot. So it was, I mean, things, things got real. Um, but there was a moment there, um, and I think it happened to be when, when Brett announced it from the stage, but, but there was a moment when it felt like the entire church started praying for me. Um, I got literally what felt like hundreds of messages of people praying, people trusting, saying we, we pray, we're praying for you, visits to the hospital, people bringing meals to our family. Really, in that moment, it felt like I was carried by the church in that moment. And I do have all 10 toes. I can happy to show anybody afterwards if they would like to see. Um, but I, I, it really feels like it was in that, that it was through the faith of this community that things worked out for, for the, the better in that situation. And it's so interesting to me of how God responds to a communal faith, not only an individual faith. And it's also so interesting as we read the story of this story that it was, it was four friends that went and picked up the one friend and took him to Jesus. In my story too, it was the 100 people, 150 or 200 people that were praying for me that took me to Jesus, and there was healing there. And there's a, there's a ratio there, right? There's a four to one 
or 100 to 1 or 150 to 1. And that to me is, is an example of, of how church should operate. A beautiful example of a community of believers coming together to help the one person that's in need. And I would even venture to say that, that when we miss church a bit, when we, when we don't quite have an accurate understanding of church, the, the ratio switches around. So just if you can visualize with me, instead of 100 people praying for one person, it's rather 100 people looking at one person to guide them towards Jesus. Just think that through that with me. So the, the story of the, of the paralyzed man, imagine it was 100 people sitting on a mat waiting for one pastor or one worship leader or one life group leader to give them direction and show them the way to Jesus. It's, a, it's a, actually a, a critical difference there to say there is one head of the church, and that is Christ Jesus, and we all form part of that. Church, this beautiful congregation, this beautiful body is not about us waiting and us looking at one person to say, can you show us Jesus? It's actually us coming together and saying, can we all gather around each other, identify those in need, take them to Jesus, and we act as one body all in this together. Ephesians 4, verse 16, it says, From him, that is from Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. How beautiful is that? That as the body of Christ, as believers, it is there is a responsibility on each of us to do the work that God has called us to. And there will be times, like I just went through, where I'm going to go through a bit of a wobble, a foot wobble, um, and I need people to help me and support me. There are going to be times when you need it too, but it's about us coming together around that person or around that group and taking them to Jesus together, not waiting for somebody else to do that for us. Does that make sense? Are we good? That he saw their faith. And the second thing that's just so striking for me is that he saw their faith. He saw it. Jesus was moved by what he saw. He wasn't moved by what he felt. He wasn't moved by the emotion. He wasn't moved by anything else other than what he saw, the faith that he saw amongst that group of people, the four or the five. Um, I don't know how many of you, um, I'm sure, anybody here that's not part of a WhatsApp group, if you can put your hand up. I'm sure there's, there here we go, I see that proud hand, one strong hand in the back there. I will never be a part of a WhatsApp group, but thanks Mark. Um, but I'm part of many WhatsApp groups, and actually as I was scrolling through my, my WhatsApps, I realized that most of those WhatsApp groups are life changers WhatsApp groups. Um, I, I stopped counting at about 14, 15, I'm like, it's too much guys, it's too much. Um, but on WhatsApp groups, um, it's particularly church-related WhatsApp groups, um, prayer requests come through. Prayer requests to say, would you please pray for this? Would you please pray for that? We're trusting for this. Good things. Life group. In your life group, somebody's going into an exam. Can we pray for that? And I found, um, I found myself getting into this um, unhealthy habit of quick response praying, you know? Or, or maybe the, the two hands, the two hands together. It either means thank you or praying, but in that sense, it means, it means praying. And if I'm, really, if I'm really feeling filled with faith, then I'll do the two hands up in the air, you know? Amen. Healing. 
And, and I'm not, I'm not, it's good to be praying and it's good to respond in those moments, but if I, if I read the story, I think I'm challenged. I think I'm challenged by the four, if I'm honest, because their faith looked like something. It looked like them going across town, picking up their friend off a mat, picking up probably with the mat, walking to the house, seeing there wasn't enough space, going up the stairs, literally opening the roof, lowering their friend down to be with Jesus. They stayed on the roof. Their friend was with Jesus, and the friend was healed. And in our current context, our current environment, I think it's easy for us to have quite a diluted view of what, what it means to have faith. If I think about myself, it's easy. It's, it's a quick response. And, and, we, and I am, in that moment, I'm thinking about it. But I think maybe there's, there's more of a challenge to say, if somebody asks for prayer, and maybe it's just as simple as actually taking a moment in that, in that moment to actually pray. So actually somebody's praying, trusting for healing. I'm going to pray for that person and send them, I trust that God will heal you in this and that maybe you've got a scripture for them or something. But actually to, to do something with our faith, that it looks like something. And I think that moves Jesus, if I'm honest. If I read the scripture, I think that moved him. I think he saw it and he was moved by that. And that we don't become too blasé about what it means to be faith-filled. Sometimes and often it means doing very practical, real things for each other. It's a, it's a hard scripture, but in, um, in Matthew 28, it talks about the sheep and the goats. And it's, it's, it's a challenging one because it's, it speaks about um, who, who gets into the kingdom of heaven, basically. We all want to be the sheeps, and, he, and Jesus separates the sheeps from the goats. The goats, you don't want to be a goat in the story. Um, but he basically, he says, um, I was hungry and you never fed me. I was thirsty and you never gave me water. I was in prison and you never came to visit me. And, and all the goats, well, they say, but I mean, figuratively, they say, um, what do you mean, Jesus? We, we never saw you. If we had seen you on the side of the road, we would have done all those things if we had seen you. And his response is, whatever you did for the least of these, you did as unto me. And I just, it just makes it so, I think, tangible and real in terms of faith. It, it really does look like something. It looks like us getting off our couch and doing something with what God has called us to. I think there's a, there's a, a huge challenge in that. And then uh, it's just a, a, an idea or a thought, because the Bible isn't clear about whether Jesus is stirred by, by the faith of the four or the faith of the five. The faith of the four friends, or is he referring to the faith of the fifth as well in, in that group of people? And I'm not sure because it's, it's not explicit, but, but maybe, maybe a thought on that is that the paralyzed man, he would have lived his life on a mat, probably in the, same, in the same city, in the same place, would have lived his life there begging. And I'm sure he would have heard the commotion of the healer coming into town. He would have heard the noise about Jesus of Nazareth that was coming back, to, it was actually going back to his hometown and he would have been preaching and teaching there. The, the city would have, been, would have been a buzz. And maybe the faith that he had was being, in being allowed to be carried to Jesus. That he couldn't get there on his own. He couldn't, he couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't manufacture on his own. He just knew the healer was in town. And he needed faith to allow his friends to take him into the presence of God. It's a, it's a theory. And I think for us, too, 
we can find ourselves in that situation too. As we had our pre-service prayer meeting, so beautifully prayed that pray, we pray for those that were, were, didn't have the faith to trust God for the big thing. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning to say, God, I know that you're real. I know that you're there. I know that you are the healer, but I don't know how to get into your presence. And that's where, that's where it takes courage. You know, it takes courage to come forward at the end of a service and be prayed for, to say, look, I'm, I'm really struggling. It takes courage when you're sitting in a life group and everyone's doing week out of 10 and it's 10, 10, 10, all these heroes that are having amazing weeks. And, and you haven't had that. And you've had it too. And to, it takes courage to be able to say, look, I'm, hey man, life sucks at the moment. I'm going through a lot. Will you as the life group, will you as the community, I am on the mat at the moment. Will you carry me to Jesus? And I think God, God meets us in that and he meets us there. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of the five, the four, and he acted on that. And it's just so interesting to me too is, is, what, is what he did and how he acted. His response in that moment, Jesus' response. It's actually so, it's so beautiful because it's not, it's, not what we, it's not what we think and not what we would expect in that Jesus saw the man before him, the paralyzed man, and he said these words. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. The, the direct translation of, of son is actually, is actually my child, actually my child. From a, a paralyzed man who would have been an outcast in society, he would have been left on the side. Jesus says these words. He says, my child, my child, son, you belong to me. You belong to me. How beautiful is that? He's never met Jesus before. He's only heard words and rumors of this rabbi. And the first thing he says before he gets to anything else, he says, you are my child. You're my child. It's not, it goes so against how we would have done a, almost a movie set in this. You know, we would have, it would have been lights and camera and healing and out, you know. Just, he came for the healing, he got the healing, and that's, that's what he came and got, and he left. And Jesus confronts that head on. He says, first and foremost, you are my child. You're my child. And then he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. I could just imagine him sitting in that moment just thinking, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I didn't come here for that, but I'm being called the child of God here, and he's telling me my sins are forgiven. The, the paralyzed man, he didn't know, but his greatest need in that moment was to be reconciled with God, not to be healed of his paralysis. That was his greatest need. And I think I can just imagine that as he, as he is eventually healed and walks out, just those words ringing in his ear, my child, my child, your sins are forgiven. Incredibly powerful. And then finally, as Jesus first kicks the Pharisees into touch, he says to him, take your mat and walk. Take your mat and walk. Heals him of his paralysis and he takes his mat and he walks. And if I, if I talk about, about my own life, 
if I talk about where I find myself at the moment, there are many times where, where I feel pretty paralyzed, to be honest. I feel, I feel like the person on the mat, and maybe, Ari, if you could come up. Um, I feel like I'm the one that, that needs healing as in need of Jesus. And you know what the, the truth of it, of it is? Is that we are all paralyzed. We are all pretty broken. We are all pretty messed up. We are all in need of saving. We are all in need of Jesus. And the only way, the only way that we go in as a paralyzed person on our mat and walk out as a healed son or daughter of God is through Jesus. It's through Jesus. There's no other way that we can manufacture that. There's no other way that we can say, let's do these five steps, five steps to awesomeness, seven steps to being a better person in the world. It doesn't work. It's a lie. The only way that we get restored, the only way that we get healed, the only way that we find a restoration, our completeness, is through Jesus. And it's coming into his presence. Maybe it's if you're able to get into his presence, it's getting into his presence. If you find, can't find yourself there, it's allowing others to get into, allowing others to carry you into his presence and hearing the words, my child, that you are a child of God. You are a child of God that forms part of this beautiful congregation and we together are his children. And to hear those words and to let that sink in and to hear the words that your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah, that our sins are forgiven. I'm the worst of the worst. There are, there are things in my life that I'm shameful even to speak of. And yet God came and he healed me. He restored me. He forgave me of my sins. And then as we come in our paralytic state, as we come broken, as we come messed up like we all are, he says to us, pick up your mat and walk. Hallelujah. Pick up your mat and walk. And it also means in that moment, as we pick up our mat and walk, it means that next time we get to be on the roof. Eh? We get to be one of the four that, that goes up on that roof and lowers their friends down into his presence. Because we know that God has done something so special and so unique in us that all we can do is run around town and pick up the other paralytics and say, let's go. We're going to carry you in. We're going to make a hut in the roof and we're going to lower you in to Jesus' presence. That's where, I, that's where I want to live my life. In his presence, walking and running around town, helping others into his presence. And I think if I read the story and I'm, I'm, I'm so moved by it, I don't, I'm not a crier and I almost, I almost cried with this, this story, but, but I'm so moved by it because I think this is a representation of what, what it means to be part of a beautiful thing called the local church, a powerful thing called the local church, that as we see each other after being seen by him, we start to glow in a beautiful way. Isaiah 58, it talks about people worshiping God in a, in a, situa in a, a community like this. And it says, you will start to glow. Basically, your light will break forth like the dawn of the day. It's just, it's almost like you can't stop it. As, as we get become so consumed by Jesus, consumed by what he's done for us, and as we express that in others, carrying others into his presence, 
where this community, this beautiful gift of local church starts to glow and starts to grow and breaks forth like the light of dawn. I haven't woken up for a sunset in years, but when I used to do it, it's beautiful. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You see the, the sky starts to change color and sort of the sun shoots over the horizon and it's something incredibly powerful and special. And that's, I think, well, that makes me hopeful for the local church, makes me hopeful for what we are a part of, that we are a part of as something as unique and as special as that. Can we stand? Let's stand. And we're going to sing a song in, um, in worship to our King. I don't, know where, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I know, I know where I find myself. Um, I'm a difficult chap. And I moan a lot. And I've got a lot of, and I messed up in many ways. You can ask, ask my wife. She's got a front row seat. And I know I need Jesus. I, I know I do. I know I'm a mess without him. And my desire for each of us this morning is that, is that we would be changed in his presence. Nothing that I can say, no, no words I can put in your mind, no seven-point plan, none of that will change your, the direction of your life. I'm, I've, I'm settled with that, and I think you should, do, you should too. The only thing that will change you this morning is the blood of Jesus. The only thing, the only place where you find restoration and healing and wholeness and all that you are called to be is in his presence. And when you see that, when the lights go on, you just, that's where you want to be and you just want to tell the people around you about how awesome it is there because that's where we find our restoration.